Welcome to the show, everybody. This should be a lot of fun. Today should be the most fun we have had so far on the show. This is Fantasy MLB Today, and I am your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, so that's at J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And you guys can also go ahead and follow the Ethos Fantasy BB account, which is where this show will be posted out throughout the season, as well as other fantasy-related content as we go on. Now, today we have our first guest on the show, and we are not going to take long in introducing him. I am thrilled today, guys, because we are joined by our first ever guest on the show, Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ. You can find him on Twitter at RyanBHQ. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this today. Hey, no problem, Joe. I uh, didn't realize I was the first guest, so that is that is awesome. It's great to meet you um, and also just kind of in general with the fantasy baseball industry, welcome uh, more interest and, and more folks that are getting into it, not just from the playing side, but from the content side. So excited to be here and um, and yeah, it should be fun today. Yeah, it should be it should be a lot of fun. We're just a couple of days away from opening day, and people are finalizing their drafts. Uh, I, I've tried to advise people on this show to draft as close to opening day as possible, just to avoid like the Degrom stuff, the Lance Lynn stuff. Yep. yep. So if you still uh, have your drafts to do in the next couple of days, we're going to be going over a couple of guys to target and a couple of guys to avoid. Do you have anybody off the top of your head that you're targeting? Maybe not such an obvious name, but someone a little bit farther down the boards this year? Yeah, a few guys. And actually, first, before I, I, I totally agree, Joe, about like drafting as late as possible, especially this year, just because there's just with the compressed spring training, it's just been so... Um, so much news so late in the spring training cycle. I actually have one more draft Wednesday night. So yeah, the night before opening day for that exact reason is, um, you know, I, especially in a big league that I'm in, you don't want to draft a Jacob deGrom last week. And yes, you know, there's risk with him and, and that sort of thing, or Lance Lynn even, and then have that wash away before the season even begins. So um, hopefully there's still, yeah, a few more drafters out there like me who still have one more to go. So um, speaking of DeGrom, to get back to your question, Joe, the, the, the fallout and one of the things I always like to do is, is yeah, the injuries make headlines and that sort of thing. But I always like to look at what's the ripple effect of that. And one guy who I'm targeting a lot because even before uh, the DeGrom injury news is his replacement in the rotation. That's Tyler McGill. Um, I wrote this up for, for baseball HQ and I, I actually, it'll hit the site on Wednesday. Um, I've got McGill as a outside shot to be the, and a leader in strikeouts through 130 innings between the minors and majors last season, a great swing strike rate, which is one of the, the key metrics that I use to evaluate the ability to strike out bats and just look really good last year, sub four ERA. And that, that sub four ERA was even with some unlucky home run. Um, luck. So I think if that if that evens out, Tyler McGill is somebody who, yes, at this point, he's going to start crawling up draft boards just because he has a rotation spot with the DeGrom news. Uh, but he's someone who has the skills to be who be really good. And depending on your league size, he could be going in in one of the last few rounds of like 10 to 12 teamers and 15 teamers. He's going more like 17th round. Uh, but the price is really good for someone that has a lot of upside uh, from a skills perspective. All he needed was the role. And it looks like he's going to have that now. Well, I remember watching him pitch. Uh, I'm a Toronto native, so I watch every Blue Jay game. And I remember him pitching against the Jays last year and shutting us down over 
five or six innings and he made us look stupid. And something with him that I find kind of interesting is I feel like he's modeled his uh, pitching motion after DeGrom a little bit. When he pitches, it's almost like a mini DeGrom out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a few people have picked up on that. They call him like mini DeGrom. And if you're going to be mini anything, um, Tyler McGill, you want to, yeah, you want to be a, a mini DeGrom and yeah. I'm sure they've, I'm sure they've traded tips. They're with each other all the time. And yeah, you definitely get some DeGrom vibes. No, we're not saying he's going to be DeGrom this year, but if he's, I don't know, 70% of what Jacob DeGrom uh, was supposed to be this season, uh, that's going to, going to net you some pretty good return on a later pick from, uh, from McGill. Yeah, he's not going to cost you a lot. He'll be available as one of your last draft picks, most likely if you're in a standard yep. league. So it's it's a good uh, it's a good flyer to take. One thing to remember, there. and I've, I've seen this come up too, there is a Trevor McGill as well in some yeah. player pools. So make sure you are uh, you don't just see T McGill. There's a Trevor McGill as well. You, um, you don't careful. want that one. <laughs> I had someone in a basketball draft this year mistake Stephen Curry for his brother Seth, and they took Seth Curry in the first round, and Ouch. they regretted it the entire year. Ouch, that's that's brutal. There's a um, there's another there's a I just saw this too. There's another Julio Rodriguez, not just the the Mariners Julio, but there's I think it's in the St. Louis organization that's in a lot of player pools. So um, how many people yep. are going to get burned by that? Yeah. Someone that I was kind of targeting who I thought was a little bit low and I was kind of curious what you think is Alex Wood. I thought he was going a little bit too low for what he's capable of. So in that same article that I just referenced where I wrote at McGill, it's funny you mentioned that. We did not plan this before the show. Um, So I had McGill as my strikeout leader for the National League, speculative speculative strikeout leader. Alex Wood was my ERA leader. The, The issue with Alex Wood would be getting enough innings to qualify, getting the 160 innings, given the health grade um, that uh, and health history that Alex Wood has had. I don't know if the volume's going to be there, but um, he's an excellent pick of someone who I'm absolutely targeting uh, later in drafts as well. We saw he was one of three pitchers last season who had, and these are key metrics that I look at when evaluating pitching. I mentioned swing strike rate with um, with McGill, but Alex Wood has a twelve has a greater than twelve percent swing strike rate. He's got a fifty percent ground ball rate and a sixty five percent strike rate. So he gets whiffs, he throws strikes, and he keeps the ball on the ground. He was one of three pitchers to do that. Um, last season the other two were Logan Webb and Sandy Alcantara so that's some pretty good company that that Alex Wood is in I I'm also a firm believer in kind of the pitching renaissance as a general organization in San Francisco Um, there's something in the water there and I think they know what they're doing with with a lot of these pitcher turnarounds so I think on a perending basis Alex Wood's going to be a really really good starting pitcher it's going to depend on volume to see just how high he ascends in the pitcher rankings, but he is absolutely, I've got him marked on my sheet uh, pretty much everywhere as someone to target at the draft price, just because um, all it's going to take is a string of good health uh, with that team. And with those skills, Alex Wood is, um, is, uh, is, is one to target. So that's a great call. Yeah. He might be someone uh, you talk about how the giants have developed pitching well in the last couple of years or not so much develop, but take a guy who has been unsuccessful and transform mm-hmm. them. And turn them so around. A, a Kevin Gosman from last yep. year. And even uh, Anthony Disclafani to a lesser extent had a very yep. serviceable fantasy year from a, a low draft pick. And Logan Webb, who I just referenced. Logan, I mean, a year ago Logan this Webb. time, Logan Webb was 
struggling in the minors and did some pitch mix changes and, and had that formula for success. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, I think that's something to, to keep track of for sure. Another guy like, I mean, Alex Cobbs in that rotation too, kind of similar to like Alex yeah. Wood um, and not that they share the first name, but they could be skilled, but just need the volume. So, uh, so yeah, something definitely going on there in San Francisco in a good way. Now, one thing I'll just quickly mention is that the loss of Buster Posey uh, at the backstop, do you think that'll have any kind of impact on the fantasy value of the pitchers over there? That's a, that's a good point. It's interesting. Um, I don't think so. I, I think I'd rather be, no matter who's catching, I'd rather have um, have my pitchers be in an organization um, that is forward thinking and tries to optimize pitch mix and and sequencing like San Francisco does. So I, I don't think the 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 fall quote unquote from, from Buster to Joey Bart is well. first it's tough to really quantify. Um, but even still, even if there was, um, I, 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 it's a good point, but I, I, I don't, I'm not really playing a factor into that, uh, for this year. Okay. Fair enough. I figured it was just something, uh, something worth noting anyway. And I don't think it'll be a huge factor, but it might be something for those. And I mean, a lot of the guys on San Francisco, they're not really long tenured, so they don't have a long, uh, history throwing to him. Yep. Gosman only a year or two. Stefani only a year. Wood only yep. a year. So yep. and remember, Posey was out when, especially with Gosman. Gosman really took off in 2020, and that's when um, uh, Posey opted out of the season. So that's true. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so a couple of pitchers later on to target there. Um, is it? I've always pronounced it McGill, but it's McGill. Believe it's McGill. Make- Believe it's McGill. Um, That's what I. That's how I've seen it. But I could be wrong. No, I'm probably wrong. You definitely know more about this than I do. Let's maybe go into a couple of guys who are being drafted, maybe inside the top hundred or seventy-five or so that you're fading, that you're really not uh, interested in taking for one reason or another. Is there anybody that stands out to you there? I think one guy who who's going really early, who I'm just not opening myself up to the risk. I'm not saying he's going to go totally belly up, but it's just risk. I don't want to take early on in a draft is, is Shane Bieber. Mm-hmm. Um, he okay. was, I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher the last couple seasons, but just the shoulder. Um, it just scared. It just scares me at the price. If you're, if you're drafting Shane Bieber, he's probably your, your, first or maybe second starting pitcher on your team probably first and it's just a lot of risk uh to have somebody coming off a shoulder issue to anchor your rotation the Bieber did come back at the end tail end of last season but the velocity was way down maybe he was just ramping up you know whatever he's been okay this spring but it's just maybe maybe it turns out great uh, but give me a Lucas Giolito who's going right around where Shane Bieber is going instead, just because of the kind of, I think the floor with Shane Bieber is something still wrong with that shoulder and he's hurt and you lose your, your anchor. So Shane Bieber is someone who I've been pretty off. Uh, love the pitcher, love the skills. Cleveland knows what they're doing. We we're just talking about San Francisco, but Cleveland is kind of a pitching factory. It's more the health thing with Shane Bieber at the price. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting arms over there, particularly uh, I think Tristan McKenzie uh, mm-hmm. inter- interests me this year. Cal Quantrill to a lesser extent, but McKenzie showed – there was a couple starts last year where he really showed what he could do, uh, double-digit strikeouts in like six, seven innings. Low, uh, just I can't remember so much specifically with him, but I remember being very excited about McKenzie. 
Uh, so they do know what they're doing over there. I have to remember to call them the guardians. I keep slipping up on that. I keep, I keep, yes. I'm, not, I'm not used to that. That'll yet. take time. I'm still, I'm still time. transitioning from, I, from DL to IL. So um, <laughs> you won't be the only one. They're still the Washington football team to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone that I was a little bit worried about was Robbie Ray. And just for the fact that it was kind of a miracle last year, and he seemed to really get on with Pete Walker, the Blue Jays pitching coach. And they really seemed like he signed the first day of free agency last season. He was the first player, if memory serves, to sign. And he had a really good thing going in Toronto. I'm just a little bit worried that he won't be able to replicate that going forward. I don't know. Is that just me? It's not. Um, you bring up a really good point with Ray. And it's and this is something that I've kind of said for a while now, is that even if someone has a breakout season, well, first of all, I mean, you're paying for Ray at the all-time peak price. He's, he's not yeah. going to have a season like he had last year. I don't think anyone is expecting that. Uh, but this is the highest price you're ever going to pay for Robbie Ray. And that's typically when you do not want to draft somebody like that. Um, for me, it's just, I mean, the fantasy baseball, the, the biggest force in our game is regression. I know that term gets thrown out um, so much, but pitchers in general and really every player have kind of a baseline level of performance. And in any given season or stretch of a season, they can go way above that or way below it. Variance is a natural thing. Robbie Ray is, you know, in 2020, we saw the bad side of that. What could go wrong? And that was a 662 ERA, a 190 whip. Granted, only over 52 innings, but we're not that far removed from that with Robbie Ray. And yes, last year he was great. Yes. The skills backed up what Robbie Ray did in 2021, especially the cutting down the walk rate uh, while also having an increase in his swinging strike rate. But one thing I always kind of say is skills can fluctuate with results as well. I don't think even though kind of the underlying skills backed up what Robbie Ray did, I think to expect anything like that again is, um, is is not worth your time so um i have been fading robbie ray just from a regression standpoint i just think someone in the league this long with this history of walk issues and control problems doesn't just disappear with one good season maybe i'm wrong with that Uh, maybe those tangible changes that robbie ray learned in toronto he'll take with him to seattle Uh, i'm not saying he's going to be like an eric bedard who was kind of the the old Seattle lefty that I think of who was traded to Seattle at his peak. I don't think it'll be that bad, but, um, but I, I, I see some kind of looming regression for Robbie Ray. So probably be okay, but nowhere near what we saw last season. I appreciate the Eric Bedard reference being Canadian. I used to, I used to worship Eric Bedard while he was on the Orioles. I thought he was fantastic. And then it was, yeah, uh, that was uh, the, I think that was the Adam Jones trade. A- Adam Jones was from yeah. Seattle to, to Baltimore and the rest is history. Yeah. Um, just to touch on Ray for a quick second. I just feel like where he's being drafted, um, according to fantasy pros, he's going, his ADP is 40. And that's, I mean, I just see a lot of guys going in the next 20, 30 picks that I feel a lot more comfortable with. And yeah. And that's, I think that's how you should look at it. It's not just Robbie Ray in a vacuum, but yeah. Who's being drafted around him that, you know, you'd rather have, um, I, I see like Freddie Peralta, Freddie Peralta sticks out 10 picks later. Yep. And I, I, I'd agree with you there. I would take Peralta over Robbie Ray, probably like Sandy Alcantara is going yeah. right around that range. Maybe, uh, maybe yeah, it's about the same. Yeah. And so I, I'd, I'd take him over Robbie Ray. Um, but yeah, that is one thing to look at is like, cause it's easy to say Robbie Ray is going to regress. Sure. 
but given the draft price, given the other options that you have available when you're sitting in the draft room, um, who are you uh, kind of pulling that trigger on? Yeah, I've talked about that at length the last week or so. If you can replicate uh, value down the board and save yourself however many draft picks, whether it be one round or three rounds or 10 rounds, if you can have, if there are players who produce numbers, um, let's say they're being drafted between 150 and 200 and they're similar to a guy going in the top 100, I feel like that's something I've pointed out uh, on the show here a few times that you just try and, you try and wait and see if you can make up value later on that's just one of my philosophies. I think that's a general philosophy, but something we've preached here on the show quite a bit. Yeah. And it's something you can definitely do. And I, I like that because there are some scarce commodities, especially in like a strictly rotisserie or even head to head categories types leagues. There are scarce categories like saves and steals that you kind of have to address early in the draft right. and you can't get everything early in the draft. So if you're going to address saves and steals early in the draft, something has to give. And I think doing Joe, like what you just mentioned with that type of analysis of similar guys going later in the draft, uh, that's where you can kind of backfill and get the guys you want. In addition to that foundation of the, the scarce categories that you need to kind of seek out early on. Yeah, absolutely. That's something uh, I'm spending probably a little bit too much time uh, on recently is trying to find guys who are afterthoughts who are being, who are not being drafted really, or who are being drafted as your last pick or two and trying to, Luke Voigt is one that comes to mind really quickly. He's, he's kind of an afterthought this year, and I feel like he has a real breakout kind of potential. Now, he's already broken out in the past, but to get back to where he was in, in the 2020. It's funny, we're on, so we're on Zoom, and I'm, I just smiled when you said Luke Voigt, because I swear you're reading my Baseball HQ article that has not been published yet. <laughs> I swear I, I, I have not read anything. I it's have it's not, not out yet, so it's impossible no. for you. But in the same article, that I mentioned Alex Wood, that I mentioned Tyler McGill. Um, I have Luke Voigt as my speculative National League home run leader. And maybe that's not speculative. I guess in 2020, he led the majors in home runs, but that was 2020, short season. Um, Luke Voigt has what it takes to, to get up there again. And so, yeah, he was mentioned in that same piece um, that's coming out on Wednesday. So uh, good call. I mean, Luke Voigt has the skill. It was just in 2021, he got hurt, didn't really have a job. They brought in Rizzo and, and Voight was very outspoken that he didn't want to be benched, but he kind of got benched anyway um, because Rizzo was brought in. And now he will have an everyday gig either between first base and DH and that lineup uh, with the raw power that Luke Voigt has. That's, that's a great call. Um, I wonder who else I wrote in my article that you're going to mention. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well- I don't want to keep you too, too long here. We are talking with Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ. You can find him on Twitter at RyanBHQ. We really appreciate you coming on today. Let's maybe just talk about uh, maybe one or two more guys quickly who you are. Let's, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, maybe a guy you're either fading or a guy you're targeting. Is there anybody who's like the number one guy for you this year in terms of one or the other? I would say one of my one of my top targets, and this isn't like a you know a sexy young prospect breakout, whatever. It's kind of an old, boring guy on the decline. But someone who I'm just drafting a lot right now in in my drafts late is Charlie Blackman. Um, gonna lead, he's he has been hitting kind of third in Colorado's order the last few years, and it's it's come out that he's going to lead off again with with Colorado. 
Um, and so that's going to rack up his plate appearances. Maybe he gets a little bit more of a green light. I'm not going to say he's going to steal bases to what he, we saw in the peak Charlie Blackman when he was a top five player. Um, but he still has the batting average skill. I think he can hit 300 with over 20 home runs and maybe mix in 10 bags. And you take that production over 600, 650 plate appearances. That's really good um, in that lineup. So uh, Charlie Blackman's someone who I think the market has pretty much written off because he is in decline. I mean, he's old. Um, and he, and again, I'm not saying he's going to go back to his peak, but that's the kind of guy that just slips and slips and slips. And, and you're, you're talking, let's see, where's he going in drafts, like 17th round and 15 teamers. So even in a 12 yeah. or 10, that's one of your last few picks for someone that's going to lead off every day and, and put up production. I mean, not elite production, but put up pretty good production that, uh, that you can get basically for free in your draft. So Blackman is someone who I actually have on, uh, more, more than any other player on all my teams so far this draft season. Really? Okay. Well, he's going after pick 200 in most cases. So uh, like we've talked about extreme value in that, in that range, I find a lot of guys get dropped anyway, as the season goes on Mm -hmm. after pick 200 for streams, for injuries or whatever. So if you're taking a flyer on a guy with massive upside who plays in course field, mind you as well, that never hurts. Yep. Then that's something definitely to keep an eye on. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here today. It, it, it's, I really appreciate it as we try and branch out here uh, at Sports Ethos. Beyond just basketball, we are a baseball company as well. So uh, having people like Ryan on who are established really goes a long way for us. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. This was fun and, and best of luck having this thing take off. And I uh, look forward to seeing what you guys can do. No, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. So this has been Ryan Bloomfield. He's, you can find him on Twitter at RyanBHQ. And just, I can't say enough about uh, about you coming on today. It really means a lot. It really, truly means a lot. For someone who's only been doing this for a couple of weeks, uh, like a month ago, this was totally not even in my head anywhere. So now it feels, uh, we're starting to come closer to the goal here, come closer to what I am attempting to do here anyway. And you're going to help a lot with that, with the expansion. So I really appreciate it. I know I'm kind of going on and on here. <laughs> No, no, you're, you're, you're good. It's a great time. It's a great time to, to jump in and do, especially with opening day and with so much buzz around the season. It was, I'm going to, I'll admit, it was hard to get into baseball prep and baseball draft when yeah. the CBA was going on, just because we didn't, A, we didn't know that if there was a season, when the season would start, but all you heard about baseball was just, you know, labor talks, this and CBT and, and, and money and, and negotiation leaks to reporters. And honestly, it was so tiring to, to, um, yeah. to follow, but it's been a complete 180 since as the CBA was reached. And I just, there's so much buzz around baseball right now, especially in the fantasy realm that um, there's just a lot of, a lot, lot of buzz and exuberance and, and, and excitement for the sport right now. So it's a great time to get involved and uh, look forward to kind of following you guys and seeing who else you bring on and, and listening to the show every now and then. So, um, so yeah, again, really, really appreciate you bringing me on as the first guest. That means a lot. And uh, it's been, it's been fun, man. Uh, it's it's greatly appreciated, especially someone with your your level of knowledge. It's always welcome. Welcome anytime. That was a, a lot of fun for me, guys. I really appreciate Ryan coming on and doing that. Really great guy. You guys once again can find him on Twitter at Ryan BHQ. Um, we we hope to have him on again some point in the future because that was a great time. 
Now, for the rest of today's show, I'm going to be doing some real draft results for one of the bigger leagues that I am in. It's hard for me to say exactly which is the league I'm going to be paying the most attention to, but I think this is arguably it. It's a Yahoo 12-team league, category league, where everybody is very serious uh, in the drafting. Everybody is fairly serious in the drafting, and there's a good amount of money on the line, so I figured I would... Uh, share the results with you guys. Full disclosure as to who I am actually picking in drafts, not just to who I'm suggesting that you guys pick in drafts. So I'm going to go through it. I'll probably be able to get through uh, every pick. There were 23 picks, fairly standard for a Yahoo league. My first round pick was Bo Bichette, and I was picking in the sixth slot of the first round. So I was very fortunate to have Bo Bichette fall to me. Uh, who was it that jumped up? So there were five guys. Uh, Guerrero, Turner, Ramirez, Bichette, and Juan Soto, who I thought were the five. They're, they're the guys who are going to go one through five, however you want to mix it up. And I got Bichette at six because Garrett Cole jumped into that top five. Someone took a flyer on Garrett Cole in the top five. Not something I would recommend, but I was very fortunate to be able to get Bo where I did at pick six because that's he's usually not going to be available there. Someone thought that they would take a flyer, I guess, on the – on Garrett Cole. Well, not really a flyer, but I mean, the first round, it's 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 a risky move for sure. The American League East is going to be a scary place this year, and I'm not sure I want to have too much pitching going on inside of the American League East, but should be fair, should be fairly safe. I'm very happy with having Bo there at, the, at pick six, though. My next pick was pick 19, and I went with Brandon Woodruff. Uh, I wanted to, I needed, to, if you pick a a position player in the first round. You kind of should take a pitcher in the second round. You can wait maybe one more round, but the options really start thinning out. And past Woodruff, there weren't going to be many people. I knew I was going to be waiting 11 more picks until I was on the board again. And by that point, there's definitely a few more guys who've gone off the board. Shane Bieber, Julio Urias, guys that I was interested in going into the year. Not so much... Uh, Bieber as Urias, but still uh, names start disappearing off the board in that second, third round range in terms of your pitching. So I took Woodruff at 19. I feel fairly confident he'll be able to be the anchor of my team, the anchor of my pitching staff. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable, reasonably safe second round pick. It's not who I planned out necessarily going in, who I was going to want in that second round area. But I, I felt I felt very happy to give at 19. My next pick was pick 30, and I took Matt Olson. I think that that's also fairly safe. I think I did a good job in this draft. I really do. I think I was I was good mix of early value with some value plays later on. Olson is one of those I've I've talked at length about him over my first base show. And I did a free agent show where I touched on, I know he didn't sign as a free agent, but I kind of just, it was like a new destination kind of show where I touched on how valuable he can be in that Braves lineup. Maybe he won't be quite as good as he was last year, but I think he should still be able to produce somewhere in that middle of the third round kind of production. So I was very happy to take him at pick 30. My next pick was pick 43 and he was still sitting there. So I took Josh Hader. I feel pretty comfortable with this. I, I, you know, his ADP is typically around 37, 38. And to get him at 43, I felt very fortunate there. 
I think he's the best closer in baseball. Maybe you could argue Liam Hendricks, and maybe we'll see Craig Kimbrell sneak into that conversation this year. But I think Josh Hader is the best closer in baseball. I think he's probably worthy of a third-round-ish pick. His his numbers are just absurdly good across the board. And, you know, he should still be able to produce the way he has these last couple of seasons. Uh, No problem in seeing him stay where he's been. My next pick, this is where maybe there's a touch of risk associated with it, but my next pick I took Francisco Lindor because he had fell into the fifth round. I guess people were really scared about him as compared to what he's done in previous years. Last year was certainly a down year for him. Um, but still 20 homers, 10 RBIs, still good value. Now, I think we're safe in saying that he's not going to be having a down year like he did again last year. I think it's safe to say that after a year playing under the spotlights in New York and with better teammates now this year, I think it's a, a safe assumption that Francisco Lindor is going to turn it around and be the Francisco Lindor MVP candidate player that we saw while he was in Cleveland. So I took him at 54. I had already taken a shortstop in Boba Shed. But in that range, I really felt like he had the most upside. And I really feel like he's going to be a, a nice combination of upside and consistency. So I feel like he can still break that ceiling from last year and still have consistent value throughout the season in terms of his steals, uh, good home runs from the middle infield. And I'm hoping that his batting average will get more uh, back to where it was in Cleveland as opposed to the 230 it was last year. So a bit of a risk, and I am not exactly practicing what I preach in taking two shortstops because I'm going to have to put one of them in the utility slot. It's just the way it's going to be, unless one of those two guys gets eligibility at second or elsewhere. I'm not really expecting that. But I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with having Lindor uh, in round five at pick 54. I've, had him, I've drafted him in a couple of different instances, actually, and this is the lowest I've been able to get him. Uh, I took him in a points league. I took him in a couple of points leagues where he was going in the fourth round. So to get him in the fifth round here, I feel like that's a win for me. So I'll take it, even if I take a slight L on the uh, positional eligibility. Into round six, I took Nolan Arenado. I think it's I think he's very justifiable in round six. I was a little bit surprised he was available in round six. Typically going around pick 51, I got him at pick 67. So there were some guys... I'm not really sure how he was available because I and going through this draft, no one really jumped up anywhere. There was a couple of guys who maybe went a bit higher than they should have. Will Smith went a bit higher than he should have, the catcher. And Fernando Tatis might have gone a bit higher. He went in the mid-60s. It's not something I'd recommend taking those guys that high. But that's the reason why I was able to get Nolan Arenado where I did. I'm... I'm Honestly, looking back on it, I did the draft the night before last. I'm a little bit surprised that he was still available there. Justin Verlander went ahead of him. Just guys that I'm not as sold on. Joe Musgrove. Like, I, I'm it's a little, little bit strange, the Joe Musgrove pick. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have gotten Arenado where I did in, in the middle of round six. Round seven. I took Jazz Chisholm with my 78th pick. 
I think I reached a couple of spots based on ADP. He's going to pick 87. I took him 78. Not something I typically would suggest, but I really wanted to draft him there. I really do something. It's not always a tangible thing, right? It's just I feel like he's going to have a fantastic season, and I wanted to have him on my team there. I knew if I had to wait till my next pick, which was 91, I didn't think he would be there. And I did talk the other day on the show about if there's about five or seven pick difference between ADP and where you're drafting a guy, if you're moving up those five or seven slots or you're moving down those five or seven slots, it's fine. It's not going to it's not gonna kill you. Now, could I have waited one more round on him? Maybe, but I didn't want to take the chance. So I took him in round seven. In round eight, I took you, Darvish, who has also not been going particularly high in drafts this year. I was... I'm not going to say I'm thrilled to get him there, but I'm happy to get him there. His ADP is around 86. I took him at 91. So, you know, the pick who went after was Bobby Witt Jr. And I already was filled with shortstops. So no need for him there. I'm hoping I don't end up regretting that one. But I think it does have regret potential, perhaps. I like you, Darvish. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a really good pitcher. I just am not totally sold that he's going to be better than um, a couple of the guys that I passed up on here. It's not, it's not my favorite pick. I, I really, I really like him and I think that he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be good. His ERA should probably go back to somewhere, somewhere towards the middle of what we've known him as opposed to 422. He should be somewhere in the mid threes, high strikeout numbers, uh, a good whip, a good low whip. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the pick. Um, looking back on it, it wasn't a pick that I was like thrilled with, overjoyed with, but happy nonetheless. My next pick was Carlos Rodon, who I did also get about 10 spots later than his average draft pick. He did end up falling a little bit. I was very happy to take him here. Something that we just talked about on the show with Ryan is that San Francisco has kind of revamped their uh, pitching team, not so much their pitching staff, but the people who, it's an organizational thing. It's, it's the coaching that has really come a long way in terms of pitching over there. And we've seen it with guys we've just talked about, like Kevin Gosman's, the Anthony DiScofani's, the Logan Webb's, the Alex Woods. So now they're bringing in Carlos Rodon, and I'm thinking that he will still have the same kind of success he had last year uh, with the White Sox. It was... Uh, it was definitely an outlier for him. I mean, he signed, uh, I don't know if it was the minimum contract the previous offseason, but he signed for a pittance, really a discounted deal. And now he's with an organization who Ryan said, and I agree, that has really changed the way they develop pitching. And we've seen it in countless examples over the last two or three years. So I was really happy to take uh, Rodon at pick 102. My next pick at 115 was Jordan Romano. I felt like I needed to have a buffer there in terms of saves in case if something happens to Hayter. Now, I think Hayter should be fine, but this is more just in case of injury and whatnot. And also, there's, of course, the Toronto connection with me. I love me some Blue Jays. And Jordan Romano is locked into that closer spot this year. Unless he's terrible, he should have that closer spot for the entire season. And he's going around pick 102. I took him at pick 115. Very happy with that, uh, with, the, with, the, with the amount of picks I saved there between the ADP and 
uh, his actual draft position. I saved about a round. I could have taken him a round earlier, but I, you know, that's what I something I've talked about here a lot is try and see if you can wait a round or two on a player. If they're still there, great. See if you can make up their value later on down the board. And a lot of the times you can, not always, but a lot of the times there's going to be a player with similar skill sets down the board somewhere. Or you're just going to be able to wait around and hope for the best and maybe get another player in between before that player. So if I had gone for Jordan Romano at ADP, I would not have had Carlos Rodon. But because I waited around, I took Rodon and Jordan Romano was still there for me. So there's a lot of factors that go in to drafting. There's a lot of strategies, but one of the main ones that I really like, as you guys probably finish up your drafts today, I would imagine, as the season starts tomorrow, really look for saving a round or two here, a round or two there in terms of player value or in terms of a sneaky pick that maybe not everybody's on to, but you're on to. So maybe wait, yeah, wait a round or two or three and see if the guy's still there or if there's a guy still there providing similar value. The next guy I took was Tommy Edmond. Really like Tommy Edmond. Uh, he's mostly there as a base dealer, uh, someone who can play the outfield and the infield in my lineup, and who's got a, a decent little bit of pop. He had 11 home runs last year. I really like the Tommy Edmond pick there at pick 126. And he was another guy that I was able to get a few picks below his ADP, which is something I have gone on and on and on about. I probably sound like a broken record, but... Anyway, my next pick was Ryan Mountcastle. I feel very confident taking Mountcastle in round 12. Now he's on a horrible team, but I don't think that'll matter so much for his skill set, which is the home run RBI stuff. And, you know, they're not, their lineup isn't great, but I mean, between him and Cedric, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, once we get Adley Rutschman to the big leagues, they might have a pretty decent lineup. So, you know, I felt very confident taking Ryan Mountcastle where I took him. I think it's very safe to have him uh, in round 12 there. My next pick, I was surprised he was still available here, but I took Yasmani Grandel. I, you know, it's one of those weird things. He fell quite a bit, and I'm not really sure why. Uh, there were other catchers that people were prioritizing over him in this league. Uh, Will Smith, JT Real Muto. Uh, there's a guys Christian Vasquez even went higher than him and I think that's because of steals but I was very happy to take Grandall I mean I know he's had some injury problems last year and maybe that's why people were a bit afraid but if he can stay healthy uh, I'm laughing here right in round 13 my next pick was the pitcher Luis Garcia for the Houston Astros I, I like Luis I mean I took him because I knew I needed a pitcher here and there wasn't so much that was really appealing to me. I mean, I thought about taking Luis Castillo here, who was still available. But, you know, with the shoulder injury stuff that he's had going on in camp, I didn't feel confident. So I took Luis Garcia, who's playing on a very good team. Not massive strikeout numbers, but he should be able to bring the wins and the low ERA this season. So I feel confident with that pick. And I feel confident with my next pick as well. Very confident. I picked Logan Gilbert of the Seattle Mariners. I'm thinking he's going to have... A fantastic season. Now, what exactly fantastic means is hard to exactly say. I took him at pick 174. His ADP is about 160. So there's not uh, a ton, a ton of hype around him. I mean, I know there is in Seattle. I really feel like he can be a dominant pitcher. 
So I took him where I took him because of the potential more so than what I have preached here, which is a proven track record, which he doesn't, he doesn't really have the proven track record. He's more of a flyer for me. And, you know, in round 15, I'm okay to take a guy like him with that kind of upside. Even if it doesn't pan out, I feel confident that there's, there's enough upside there that is worth the risk. The next position I took was my first baseman. It was Yuli Gurriel, who's maybe available a little bit lower than he should have been here at close to pick 200. I mean, I know there's not like a ton of hype around him. Sure. But he's, you know, he was the batting champion last year in the American league. He's not, he's not a slouch. I mean, you're not getting a ton of power, but you're getting a good player. You're getting a guy who's going to hit you, hit a good average. Like that's not really something we have to worry about at this point. He hits for a high average. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to score runs himself and he'll hit you some home runs. So he's going around pick 190. I took my pick 187. I feel totally comfortable with that. Totally comfortable. And my next pick was his teammate, Michael Brantley. I, I realized at this point in the draft, I was still lacking an outfielder. So I picked Michael Brantley. Not something that I'm expecting a lot out of. He's more uh, a hope and a prayer kind of a draft pick. He's probably not going to get that get the home run kind of power back. Not that he was ever really, truly a power guy. But, you know, another guy that I'm drafting later on who has a very high batting average. And, you know, the floor is pretty high for him. I don't think it's going to be a bad season for Brantley, and I feel comfortable taking him where I took him in round 17. So we are on to round 18, and I took Anthony DeSclafani in round 18, someone that Ryan and I touched on very briefly earlier. He had a really solid top 100 kind of fantasy season last year. And if he can be the same kind of pitcher, it goes back to what we talked about earlier with the organizational change in how they develop pitching. So I still feel I still feel comfortable on DeSclafani. I'm I'm a little nervous because I don't think he'll be as good as he was last year. Last year he was fantastic. Didn't strike out a ton of guys. Got a lot of wins because he was on a very good team. But he was like a top 100 fantasy guy last year, top 70 guy. I took him a pick 211. So... It's uh, it's like I said before, look for value down the board. If you have to take a flyer in these rounds, you probably will be taking some flyers. If it doesn't pay off, it doesn't pay off. My round 19 pick is Mr. Luke Voigt, someone who Ryan and I also talked about. Uh, you know, I just feel, again, the upside here. I took him a pick 222. His ADP is 224. And... There is a chance, like Ryan said, that he will lead the National League in home runs. And I think that he can hit, like, even if he doesn't lead the National League in home runs, you can get 30 to 40 home runs in there somewhere from a guy who's I took in the 19th round, 222nd overall. He's currently slotted on my bench. If he, you know, I'm going to wait one or two games, see how he does. He's not getting dropped, but it's a question of whether or not he'll be in the starting lineup or not. I feel like he'll be batting in the middle of that San Diego order. I almost said San Francisco there with all this talk of the Giants. He'll be in the middle of that San Diego order, and I feel like he will have a year similar to what he had in the pandemic short in 2020 season. So that's one of the more confident picks that I had in the entire draft in round 19 was Luke Voigt. Round 20... 
I made a bit of a boo-boo here. I picked Michael Fulmer. He hasn't had a great spring, and I think Gregory Soto is probably going to end up being the closer there. I probably should have taken Gregory Soto here, who was still available. Fulmer, I think, will probably end up being dropped, and he will be um, a streaming slot for me throughout the season. It's just not terribly impressive. I mean, when I drafted him at first, I figured, okay, fairly low ERA, decent strikeouts, some combination of 50 and uh, win plus saves plus holds. So I figured it would be, I just figured he'd be valuable, um, somewhat kind of valuable in the spur of the moment. And then dissecting the numbers more so afterwards, I hadn't really done a ton of looking into him beforehand. Uh, I, I screwed up. I shouldn't have drafted him here. So, lesson learned, uh, even in round 20, you can screw up and take someone you don't really intend to. So, he will be someone that will be going to the waiver wire, most likely. There's a chance he earns the Tigers' uh, closer job. I'm not really expecting it. So, I'm expecting uh, to send him back to the waiver wire in a day or two. Next pick was Miles Straw. I like Miles Straw. I was going to take Julio Rodriguez here, but he went just the pick before. So I picked Miles Straw just to have a little bit of insurance for my stolen bases. Uh, I think he's probably going to play most days out there in Cleveland. And I don't plan on starting him a lot of the time, but if there is an instance where I need a steal, I might. Not not a terribly, not a pick I'm terribly comfortable, proud of, whatever. He's not a great player. He's just very fast. And he's just there at the end of my draft to just ensure the speed a little bit. The last pick I took, sorry, the second last pick I took was Shane Baz. They're expecting him to only be shut down for a couple weeks, as far as I know, as far as they've told us. So uh, I, I felt that it was completely worth a risk there. I picked 260 to take a guy with that kind of talent. 259, sorry, pick 259. Uh, huge upside, huge potential. He could be an all-star within two or three years, within two years. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that. he's He has great stuff, so no problem taking him here. My last pick, I took I pick 270, was Kevin Biggio. He has eligibility at third and in the outfield. And I think that this year he will have an everyday role in that potent Blue Jays lineup. So I felt a lot more comfortable taking him here than I would have uh, maybe even at the end of last year because there's more holes on the Blue Jay infield. Well, the one major hole left by Marcus Semien leaving, which will be where Kevin will slot into the lineup most days. They may have Santiago Espinal playing there some days. But I think Kevin will be uh, a fairly valuable guy. And, you know, it's the last pick of the draft. If he's not valuable, you drop him and move on. Uh, one thing, uh, now that is that is one of my, this is probably the league that I'm going to be paying the most attention to. There's another one, uh, a 10-team league that I might play I might pay close attention to as well because I'm playing with friends in that one, and I always have a competitive uh, competitiveness about me when I'm playing with friends, even if it's not for so much money. Now, the one thing to be careful of in the first couple of weeks of the season, the first month of the season or so, and maybe you can even push that to like six weeks, is be very smart with who you add and who you drop. Identify guys in your draft and throughout the first couple of weeks of the season who you're not going to be too attached to, because that is something that I have done in the past many times is you get too attached to a guy. You don't want to drop them. You wait too long. By the time you drop them, 
you've missed out on a really great free agent pickup on the wire because you were too hesitant. So be very careful in the first six weeks or so of the season in determining the value. Uh, look at look into advanced stats. As much as I'm not a huge advanced stat guy, look into the advanced stats, look into the numbers, look in even the basic stats, the home runs, RBIs, things like that. Do your homework before you add or drop guys this early in the season because it can come back to bite you. I had a, a friend drop Fran Mill Reyes in a league last year and it came back to bite him. Fran Mill was not healthy the whole year, but he did end up hitting like 35 home runs, 30, 35 so there are instances early in the season where you might drop a guy because of lack of production or an injury or what have you. Just be cautious when you are making those moves because you can ruin your season early on. You really can. It's not likely, but you can definitely make a mistake um, in dropping someone early on, especially if you see a guy on the waiver wire and you think, oh, this guy is fantastic. And that's what my friend did last year. He picked up Yerman Mercedes, for those of you who were following baseball last year. Yerman Mercedes was a rookie catcher slash designated hitter for the Chicago White Sox, who didn't particularly get on with Tony Larusa. So he was in the minor leagues for the majority of the year. Now, the first month of the season or so, he looked like the best thing we'd ever seen. He was batting like 370. He was he was ridiculous. So my friend went ahead, and it, it looked like it made sense at the time to drop Fran Mill Reyes for Yerman Mercedes. Now, this move ended up biting him in the behind, and it, it hindered him throughout the season. I mean, he had other things wrong with his team. He lost Mike Trout, but that hindered him greatly because that was essentially just a zero there. No Fran Mill, and... No Yerman, essentially, because he was in the minor leagues. He actually, I think, retired briefly last year and then came back. So be very careful when you're dropping players and picking up players at this juncture of the season because we still don't fully know what the value is going to be for anybody. Guy could suck terribly in April and May and be horrible and then win the MVP award. Extreme hypothetical, but things like that do happen. So be very careful uh, in these next couple weeks as you are doing your pickups and your drops. This is the last show before the season starts. Unbelievable, really. But tomorrow, there will be regular season baseball games, real baseball games. You can click on your fantasy app. You can click on my team, and you will actually see numbers there somewhere in the middle of the afternoon. Because I believe the first game of the season is a matinee between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Am I wrong about that? Oh, they've postponed it. Why has it been postponed? I'm not sure why they've postponed it. So the first game of the season is going to be the Brewers and the Cubs. That will be the first game of the season, and that'll be at 2.20 p.m. Eastern time uh, here tomorrow. So 1, 12, 11. 11.30 uh, is when it will start for you guys on the West Coast. So I'll have the show up for you guys uh, before that time tomorrow so that you guys can... I'll, I'm going to just maybe uh, go over some starting pitching stuff. There's not going to be too much in terms of actual uh, game stuff to go over because they won't have happened yet. But we'll probably talk about some pitching matchups, things like that tomorrow. There's not a ton of games tomorrow, especially now with those two games postponed. They've also postponed the Mariners and Twins. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games tomorrow. Not exactly what uh, it was hoping for on opening day, 
But, you know, we'll live. We'll hit you guys with a nice DFS lineup tomorrow, too, for you guys who play Daily Fantasy. Now, I touched on it on Twitter. I'd answered someone on Twitter, but we do not have DraftKings or FanDuel uh, DFS in Ontario where I live anymore. So my DFS content will consist strictly of mostly, anyway, I, mean, I won't say strictly, but mostly uh, to do with Yahoo lineups. So I'm sorry about that. There's just nothing I can do about it uh, other than move to a different place, which I I will not be doing that for the purposes of daily fantasy sports. We're not quite at that level yet. We might get there eventually, but we're not quite there yet. So I want to say once again, thank you to Ryan Bloomfield for coming on and being the first guest. He was fantastic to have on. You guys can find him on Twitter at RyanBHQ and you find fantastic content and premium content there if you go onto his page. Now, I hope that you guys go and follow him, and I hope that you guys follow me at JoeOrico99. That's at J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And you guys can also go ahead and follow the Ethos Fantasy BB account, which is E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB, which is where this show is posted out from every day. Both of those accounts, my account and the Ethos Fantasy account, both post the show every single day, so... You want to go ahead and follow those accounts for other fantasy baseball stuff throughout the season. There will be other content throughout the season there. You have my word on that. And if you guys ever want to get at me on Twitter, I was having a nice conversation with a guy yesterday uh, advising him on uh, a trade. Sorry, not a trade, on a potential pickup that he was going to make in an ESPN league. So we had a nice uh, back and forth for a while there. And that is what I love uh, about this. One of the things I love about this is interacting with you guys, hearing what kind of leagues you're in, what kind of formats, different point scoring formats. And ask away. Ask away in terms of trade questions, in terms of I want to pick this guy up, should I drop this guy? Whatever kind of questions you have related to baseball, fantasy baseball, you guys, you guys know where to find me. So once again... Thank you to Ryan, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. See ya.